This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, every episode is special, of course, but this is a little extra special because, as I was just telling him um, before we started recording, I think uh, you could argue that this gentleman who has um, graced us with his presence today is probably as in demand as anyone out there uh, and will be for the next, um, I guess, right about one month. Uh, and, of course, I'm talking about Bleacher Reports, Jonathan Wasserman. Uh, Jonathan, how you doing, man? I'm blushing behind the microphone <laughs> and laptop. I'm not used to such so many nice comments about me. Uh, very nice, of you guys. But but good to be back and good to talk uh, Knicks and draft. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you said it, so I'll I'll start with them. Um, the Knicks have a draft pick of some importance. Yeah, uh, I've heard that. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, maybe not the one they wanted, but the one they got. Um, somewhere deep inside your core. There is still a part of you that I, I think roots for this team. Is, is that fair to say? I'd say that's fair. <laughs> okay. So I want to start off with this because obviously, you know, a lot of this conversation is going to be about R.J. Barrett. In your, like, core of cores, that part of you that, you know, used to root for um, – how, how, I should ask how old you are. Uh, Ewing? Does it go back to Ewing? Yeah, I'm 32. So honestly, oh, yeah. one of my first – I was at the game when Reggie scored uh, – what was it, eight points in nine seconds? And that was like my first, you know, memory I can really dig deep for that I can go back to and say I remember being there. But yeah, um, the Ewing Starks era was what I grew up on. And uh, of course, Alan Houston and Spreewell is my favorite player of all time. Um, that's funny. I was just cleaning out my mom's house because she's moving and I found my old, um, you know, the, the really like nice NBA figurines that the, I think McFarland makes them. I found my Spreewell McFarland figurine. And I'm I, like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, you know, that's funny. My uh, my old household, we're moving out also, and, and I used to collect um, Spree, the candy. I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> yes, and I of would, And I would take, I would eat the Spree, and I would put the wrappers up um, and tape them on my wall. So, uh, you know, I, I had the same thing going for me. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. All right. All right. So um, you go back a ways. In, in your core of of cores there as a Knicks fan somewhere deep within do you think it would be a mistake whether it's you know by trade or whatever to to not have RJ Barrett um be on the Knicks is is there some type of like upside whether it be because of his makeup and you've written a lot about how his mentality and all that would fit well in New York like whatever it is about him do you think they'll regret it 
if he's not a Nick come you know October and for the years ahead? I mean, if we're if we're talking Anthony Davis, you got to throw him in there. Um, otherwise, it's tough to imagine any scenario that makes sense uh, where they don't end up with Barrett. And um, you know, I guess trading down is something that they'll look at, and they're going to explore every possible option. Just like you know, Mills said that they had eight possible trade scenarios for Porzingis. They're they're going to have a, a million different options to explore, whether it's trading down, trading out, um, and and then looking at other prospects as well that they're going to work out. It's really tough to justify any move um, where they don't end up with Barrett or Anthony Davis, um, unless a real surprise trade offer comes along. But uh, I'm going to really assume that they sit tight at number three and just take the obvious name. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's something to be said for for not overthinking these types of moves. I, I I've been trying to research Barrett as much as possible. I've been reading a lot of your stuff, trying to you know see some other stuff out there. The thing that I came across that that really struck me was um, Spencer Perlman, who does some work with us for for Nick's Film School. His kind of medium outcome for for Barrett is an inefficient volume scoring offensive minded player with like some secondary passing and maybe you know slightly below average defense. And I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, is there? Well, do you agree with that assessment? I guess would be the first question. I could see a lot of different outcomes with him, and I'm not going to pretend that I have any real confidence in saying he's going to be um, a 25-point scoring all-star. Uh, I could see him being you know, a, a better T.J. Warren. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I know the risk versus the reward, and I think you, know, there's, you, get, you, you just got you to gotta take him at number three. But uh, continue with uh, what Spencer was, was well, talking about. It's basically that. So I, I read that, and the reason I, it stuck out to me is because it, it got me thinking of just like some other stuff I see I've seen online, you know, about him. Like um, Ben Rubin had on the Stepien again, kind of like this idea that a high volume, not terribly efficient guy is, is essentially you know not something you want. It could be pretty detrimental, um, like a DeRozan type, um, especially when they don't have that outside shot. So. I guess are you the things that are that are knocks on Barrett now his maybe his decision making his outside shot um, his defensive I don't want to say effort but um, well yeah I guess I will say effort um, does of those things like does anything like concern you more than some of the other stuff does does anything you think like that'll definitely get better in the pros where are you at with some of the the concerns with Barrett actually some of the things that you mentioned aren't even atop my concern list um okay well what is first of all you know he's already burying two threes per game at this age so he's he may never be a shooter but he's a very good shot maker and i think that's you know he's going to make enough open shots and enough enough jump shots uh, to get him into that 20 point per game range in defense coming into college he was he was known as a competitive defender and um one year in college we see it all the time ben simmons didn't try too hard playing defense at lsu uh, to save his energy for offense, get some NBA coaching. I think that'll change. Okay. Uh, the thing that concerns me with Barrett is when the game slows down in the half court, um, how does he create his own shot? And what makes him special, what separates him is his ability to improvise. He just finds unique ways to maneuver his footwork, uh, to make shots that you don't practice, one-handers, uh, counters. But he doesn't really have any calculated go-to moves. In fact, when you watch him attempt to step back to, or to create separation it's pretty ugly the timing is not right you know it's not like James Harden where he's got a bunch of different moves in his bag he could go to 
Uh, Barrett doesn't really have that. You saw at the end of shot clocks, at the end of games, sometimes his only move was to just put his head down and go into traffic and hope for the best. And so that's where he's got to improve um, his shot creation, uh, being more decisive, uh, more calculated moves. But I keep, I mean, every time I talk about Barrett, I say the same thing. He's 18. We just forget about how young he is um, and what he's already done. If you look at the list of guys who've scored 22 points per game in their freshman seasons uh, of major conference players, the list is like five guys and four of them are Hall of Fame type guys. So uh, there are clear issues that he has and some flaws in his makeup and his skill set, but nothing to the point where I'd say right now he can't get better at but definitely he's got some adjustments to make and I think um, depending on how the Knicks surround him is really going to play a big role in his development and if he is on an island by himself in New York and the Knicks strike out in free agency yeah I am worried he's going to be one of those high volume low efficiency type scores but man if you put him on the team as the third or fourth guy the way they did with Jason Tatum that's going to be huge for him for his for his habits he's not going to have to uh, force the issue as much um, early on and uh, just to, to learn under much superior, uh, credible scores, like, you know, I, I'm obviously he's talking about Durant here, sure, yeah. would be such a, a plus for him early in his career. Um, so we'll see how they, how they surround him. I think that's really going to be big in terms of whether I think New York is a good place for him to develop or where I think it could be a nightmare. So I'm, I'm happy you went there because I was planning on asking you just basically outright as the third option, you know, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying I, I feel like as the NBA, and I group myself in with this, as the NBA community gets smarter, we also get, not dumber, but we, we suffer from a lot of the same groupthink. And like, so, you, you know, you, you immediately say, all right, third option, got to be a knockdown shooter, right? Got to be a guy who hits above 40% on, on open threes. Is, you obviously have a little bit more faith in his shot than maybe some other people do. Is that a worry, though, even aside from that? Like, are you confident that as the third option, he's going to be able to be a useful player, you know, not three or four years down the road, but as soon as next year? Yeah, I think he can be. Uh, and it's going to take some adjusting. But, um, you know, right, it would make sense for your third guy to be um, a knockdown shooter. Um, and, and some other uh, traits it would be nice to have as that third guy. But sometimes, like you said, sometimes I think we just overanalyze it, right? He's just a good player. I think he's got, he's going to figure out – he's not going to have a choice. He's going to have to figure out how to play behind better players. And uh, if they the Knicks do hit their goals and, and bring in a couple of big-name guys, he's not going to – his mentality is going to change naturally. You know, He's not going to think that he's the top guy. He's going to find a way to adapt and, uh, and pick up on the nuances of the game as a third guy and – so I'm not super worried about it. I know on paper his skill set may not translate to third option. Um, but, again, I think he's just too good at putting the ball in the basket um, that he's going to figure it out. I'm, I'm happy you phrased it that way because I, I agree we do overthink this stuff a lot. And at the end of the day, you know, as we're seeing in the playoffs, it's it's – late shot clock it's like how many guys do you have on the floor that can that can ultimately get you a bucket um mm-hmm. when you need one i guess that so to me talking about like his makeup right like he's you say he's gonna figure it out he's gonna have to figure it out i get this impression of him just again just listening to like sound bites and things like i, I don't know the guy from a hole in the wall but that he's someone that sees himself as you know a guy who could be one of the best players in the nba do you think he's going to have an issue if he has to take a back seat for a couple of years? 
not early on. Okay. Um, I think I think early on, just I think there's just always for these rookies, there's that kind of awe factor of like you know, you watch Kevin Durant on, on YouTube for years, but holy shit, he's now on my team, and <laughs> and you have to, and, and naturally you don't want to upset Kevin Durant, you know. I think maybe his ego will build over the years. Okay. Once he once his confidence builds, his ego will build, and and there may come to a point where he's like, okay, I'm ready to take over now. You know, stop giving the old man the shots. He's not the same player he used to be. I'm the new young and up and coming gun. Uh, that may happen eventually, but right away, um, I'm, I'm talking if the Knicks do sign a couple of big name guys, I don't think that the, uh, the ego, the mentality thing is going to be a problem. He's uh, I don't know him personally either. I've, you know, I've interviewed him over the years. I've covered him since he was a uh, sophomore, junior in high school, says the right things. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's smart. I mean, he's, he, he knows what he's doing out there and, and he definitely has uh, a bit of, um, a bit of an ego, uh, but he's always been the best player on the floor and, and you kind of want him to, to have that ego. You, you want him to be uh, the guy who wants the ball in, in his hands. You know, we used to criticize Andrew Wiggins at Kansas cause he was so passive. Yeah. Um, and, and that wasn't a, that was a knock on him. I don't think this is a, a knock on him. Um, his mentality and the fact that he gets tunnel vision and he could be a ball hog. I think he's going to be smart enough where he can kind of adapt and change a little bit, at least the first few years when he's the rookie and he's playing alongside these uh, these star veterans. The other thing that I'm that I'm fascinated by with him, and I think it has a lot to do with with you know, like we just were talking about his mentality. I, everybody, the thing everybody seems to agree on is like the guy's a winner. It's like everywhere he goes, he wins. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was what he did in. Um, uh, the under 18s mm-hmm. and it and I almost I almost wonder you know it because we always talk about you know when you talk about the Knicks it's inevitable you know it's going to come up like this is an organization that has not been able to get out of its own way and the people who say that say those problems are internal they're like at the core and then I think the comeback for that is well they just haven't gotten the right players in there is his mentality such the type of thing that, like, it could really have, um, I don't want to say a galvanizing effect because that's a lot to ask of, like you just said, an 18-year-old, soon to be 19. But do you think at some point um, his mental makeup, his whatever is driving him, can really have that kind of um, really positive effect on a franchise, on a culture, dare I use that word? Yeah, it could. Um, I, you know, it's it just, again, it really depends on how they build the roster, and it could go both ways. Um, it could be really bad if they don't surround him with anyone. He starts to operate in that uh, hero mentality, and uh, you know he takes a lot of bad shots, and, and then everyone starts to get on him, and he gets fresh. It could go that direction. Uh, it could go in the other direction where they start winning games, and uh, and he he's a competitive guy. He plays with high spirits, uh, and like you said, his track record is pretty amazing. When when you talk about all the things he's uh, accomplished in high school and FIBA. And the Nike Hoop Summit, and the guy just wins everywhere, and that's yeah, galvanizing. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the right word is, but um, it, it, it could really work both ways, and it, I think it really depends on how the front office builds the roster with him. Before we move on from him, what is your uh, personal ceiling outcome for for IJ? I think DeRozan is the type that we're talking about, and I know DeRozan is a flawed player, but uh, he's an all-star caliber scorer. He can for bank sure. on. He might make the Hall of Fame someday. I don't think that's outlandish to predict that. Right. So I think that's there's differences in, in each other's games. I'm not comparing them um, in terms of their skill set. But uh, I think that's the type of guy, a, uh, a flawed uh, volume scorer, 
who became a secondary playmaker. I can't name how many assists Rosen averages, but I think it's more than you'd expect. And I think that's a very underrated aspect of Barrett's game is his his passing. I, he, his passing is not something that he's known for, but um, when when Trey Jones went down, he stepped up as the team's initiator, and I think that's going to be uh, that's going to play to his value a little bit in the NBA, being a secondary facilitator. Um. Yeah, I know that's something else that Spence was saying, that he's like a, a good pick-and-roll passer from like the top of the key, um, which is something that I think uh, the Knicks could uh, use along with every other, um, yeah. every other know, thing. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm sure he was looking at, uh, in synergy, if you look at his pick-and-roll passes to the roll man, he ranks yeah. in like 98th percentile. And uh, passing to the roll man with Mitchell Robinson could be pretty important in New York. So something to you know monitor over the years. Well, you just mentioned Mitch. Um, so let's use this as, as a little bit of a transition um, to the Anthony Davis conversation. Um, I guess flat out, do you think, let's assume that they have some type of intel that if they get AD, um, they'll be able to get another guy. Um, and they are... Um, equally confident that with that other guy, whether it's KD, whether it's someone else, that it's going to be enough to convince Anthony Davis to then re-up with the team next summer. So you're essentially trading whatever you're trading for, um, let's say, four or five years of Davis plus, you know, star X. Um, is there a price that's too high for you um, if you're the Knicks to to give up for Anthony Davis? Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, um, it's it, it reminds me of the Mellow trade. I, I, Anthony Davis is is better than Mellow, but you know, if if you're asking me, should they hold back from including Mitchell Robinson in a trade for Anthony Davis? Of course not. You gotta throw you gotta throw him in there, um, and and then the question comes down to, well, if you're throwing Mitchell Robinson, you're throwing in everybody else too, and and just throwing in all the youth uh, and picks that you've acquired um, for one to two guys. It's a really tough call. And I'm glad that I'm not in position to make that call. <laughs> uh, but uh, depending on the offer, I mean, if they ask for the house and the house includes Anthony, and the house includes Mitchell Robinson, I mean, I'm at 50-50 right now. It's, a, it's something I'm th- thinking about. I think you do have to pull the trigger uh, just because, you know, I don't know how good Knox is going to be. Yeah. I think sometimes we get a little too excited with Trier just because he is cl- clearly an NBA player. But – uh, you know, I don't think his ceiling is is all star. I think he's kind of a good bench scorer in a league. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, you're you're talking about. And I would right now evaluate Mitchell Robinson as the Knicks' most valuable player asset. And uh, I think he got to in- include him and uh, and throw in the rest of the guys. I guess that's probably what I lean to if it meant getting Anthony Davis at 26 years old. I'm gonna ride this fence until I can't ride it anymore, and then once I'm forced to have to pick, I probably won't ever pick a side. I'm gonna hem and haw and go back and forth on this because I, <laughs> I, 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 I second what you said. I'm happy I don't have to uh, to make that decision. Um, you mentioned Knox. I, I quickly before we finish up because um, I have one or two other draft questions. We spoke about Knox briefly when we, you were on here. I guess about five months ago. Um, is there any part of you that still thinks that he could be, um, I don't want to say an all-star level player, but just like a a winning contributor to a good team after what you saw over the rest of his um, first year? I do. I, I'm not totally off the bandwagon, and he couldn't have been put in a worse situation Agreed. With, with with nobody to play off and somebody who 
if I remember correctly, Kentucky, you know, isolation possessions, he was four out of 16 for his entire freshman year. He's just not a, he's not a very advanced shot creator. And when you put him on the Knicks who have nobody and he's got to create something out of nothing to generate his own offense, it was a, a recipe for inefficiency, which is what you saw. He's also still, what, he's still 19. Um, put good, just like the same thing with Barrett, put some good players around him and um, let the game come to him a little bit, a little better shots, um, improves his confidence, uh, you know, all that stuff I think would really, really help him. So I'm not ready to jump off the wagon. Now, I'm not as high on him as I was coming out of summer league, and maybe I got a little bit excited myself. Uh, his Listen, you're human. It's, it's yeah, okay. It's I know. It's, you know, sometimes that happens. But, um, uh, you know, after watching for a full season, it's clear that he's got some issues with um, just feel for the game in terms of how to finish and, and when to pull up first take it all the way and uh, just not really a big passer and defensive lapses, but so much could change from age 19 to 24 and even at 24, you still have room to grow. So I'm not ready to to jump off the wagon yet, but um, I'd say that uh, I'm not as high, uh, of course, as I once was. So I want to finish up just by talking about um, really quickly uh, a possible trade down scenario. And then um, before I get you out of here, just some thoughts on, on maybe the Knicks uh, pick towards the end of the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a great piece that came out today on Bleacher Report, uh, 2019 NBA drafts, best kept secrets. And I love the way you did it, by the way, where it's like you took um, five different guys and then, you know, all different levels of player, but you're like, this guy should be in this, you know, tier above. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about possible trade down scenarios, I mean, we could sit here for days and talk about all the possibilities. I'll just say or ask you this. Is there anybody that you think, based on anything maybe you know or you've heard, or even just thinking about like Perry slash Fisdale player types, that you could see them trading down with a specific eye on? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure they're going to love Jared Culver. He's like your... He's so well-rounded, um, 20 years old. Uh, they, they seem to love the word upside, um, Mills and uh, and Perry. And I think that if you – all the ingredients are there for upside w- with his positional tools, his his three-level scoring, his passing, his defense. So he's kind of got the full package. But uh, I got a feeling he's going to go top five, top six. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so with Cole – I mean, it, it, it would be tough to find um, – the right exact guy um i mean if you're talking about moving down you know where the hawks the hawks have eight and that's 10. that's what i i'm to me that's interesting because i could see there being maybe not eat well let me ask you do you think there's a, a trade that would give you know equal value would the hawks need to throw in like a future pick um or, or would eight and ten be enough maybe get some players involved as well i wouldn't do it for eight and ten and that could come back to bite you um, but just only because right now it's just so tough to confidently say, uh, I know, I know two big time prospects, eight and 10. I mean, it's really, you get into crapshoot territory sure. around that range and, um, you know, Cam Reddish, like he could suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. I love that. He could be, he could be, he could be a nice role player. He could suck. So he could, uh, Siku Dumbuya from France. I mean, he's got some upside, too. He, he could be a decent, good role player. He could also be out of the league in three years if he doesn't make some serious improvement. The, the level of confidence you have in those players in that range is so low, whereas I'm pretty damn confident that R.J. Barrett is going to score points in this league for a long time. 
And I don't think the Knicks are in position to pass on that for two wild cards or That's... another or, or one wild card. Also, it depends on what the additional asset uh, they would be getting. But um, th- I think the Knicks need share things at this point. And to go backwards, to take chances on question marks is just not the right answer, in my opinion. I, no, I think it's a it's a great point. Um, so I just want to hit your article one more time before we before we get you out of here. I I um, you have Goga um, for anybody who doesn't know the the Georgian center. You're high on him, not not obviously a fit with the Knicks because they already have Mitchell Robinson. Right. The guy that you wrote about that I'm really interested in because you know you bring up Mitch um, as a guy who the Knicks pounced on after sitting out of uh, of college for a year. Mm-hmm. Well. Lo and behold, there's another one of these guys, um, yeah. Darius Baisley. Ba- is it Baisley or Basley? Baisley. Baisley. Okay. Yeah, I thought you might bring him up. <laughs> yeah. What do you What are your thoughts on him? So, uh, just quick background: he was supposed to go to um, Syracuse, sure. and then was going to go to the G League, and, and that didn't work out either. So now, yeah, here he is. Yeah, he wrote this beautiful piece in the Players Tribune about going to the G League, and then I don't know how long after he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to follow Mitchell Robinson's path. I'm going to train for the draft." Nobody's going to see me for a year. It certainly is not going to help his draft stock. So uh, I don't know if he'll be in the mix at 55 with the Knicks pick, but he's certainly in that range, that 45, that mid-second round range. And he probably helped himself in Chicago at the NBA Combine. Uh, the eye test sees a 6'9 forward who plays face-up offense, uh, and he flashed pretty much every skill you could hope for at the Combine. But uh, 18 years old, he's so raw. He doesn't do anything great. You know, he, he's capable in every area, but not proficient in any. Okay. Uh, so uh, in terms of offensive versatility, yeah, he, he screams NBA fit. But he's so far away right now. He's, you know, while, while Robinson, Mitchell Robinson had something you could bank on, which was athleticism and finishing and shot. I mean, you knew that was his around-the-rim ability was going to translate. There's nothing with Baisley that you could hang your hat on and say, okay, well, at least I know we're going to get this. On the other hand, if he puts all these – you know, five skills that he has together, uh, he could be a, a, a giant steal um, at number 55 and somebody who, you know, usually 18-year-olds aren't aren't there, you know, in the late second round. He's just such sure. a major case. I, I know it's like kind of an impossible question, so I, I, <laughs> I preface it, uh, but <laughs> last one, because we don't know who the hell's going to be on this team next year, but looking at the Knicks' second pick um, at 55, is there anybody who you have in your mind that you're like, man, I'd really like to see him you know, in a Knicks uniform come next year? I think in terms of fits, and if you're uh, – I'm going to think best case that the Knicks do well in free agency. I want to put shooters around them. Killian Tilly is a guy from Gonzaga. Sure, who, yeah. Who, who uh, foot pro- I mean, just kept kind of getting hurt, was on a good team, and they were doing well, so they never really put him back into the rotation – uh, full time, but he's played three years. He's a 47% three point shooter over the course of his career. He's 6'10. And uh, I don't care if anything else about his game doesn't translate. I'm pretty confident <laughs> that you can put him out there and he's going to knock down open threes over and over again uh, and give him 15 minutes off the bench. I think he can help. So if you can get a guy like that in the late second round, um, that, you know, that's a skill I think is going to translate, even if nothing else does. So uh, he's. He's a guy to watch for if the Knicks are confident that they can get a couple of stars. It's just it's a great name too, Killian Tilly. I mean, you're not <laughs> you're not beating that name. No, um, that's a, that's a Game of Thrones name. Yeah, between uh, Killian Killian Tilly and Taco Fall, um, you know, how do you choose between those two those two names? 
uh, let alone the let alone the players. <laughs> um, all right, man. Listen, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Like I said, I, I know how busy you are. You're crazy this time of year. Um, is there anything before I let you go that you want to plug, promote, shout out, anything like like that? No, I just say be wary of the uh, workout videos that are circulating. <laughs> I just watch out for those. You know, don't don't let those uh, change your opinion. I'll never forget Willie Cauley Stein bagging threes. Oh doing, my God, I remember that one. Everybody's flipping out. He's got to be the next top five pick. But uh, so I just say watch out for those. The- otherwise, otherwise, um, a lot of smoke over the next month or. It's, this is one of the interesting scenarios for Nick fans, where you you're going into the draft and you you kind of know who they're taking. So. Takes a little fun out of it, but also uh, I think fans should feel good about uh, feel good going into this draft. Well, um, they should, and and I, I could speak for myself. You certainly made me feel a lot better about the prospect of, of uh, taking RJ Barrett, and um, and I take everything you say uh, very seriously because you know your <laughs> stuff as well as anyone. So um, thank you so much for coming on. If anybody out there isn't following Jonathan, uh, he's on Twitter. Which it's Twitter. It's NBA Draft Watch, right? You got it. NBA Draft Watch on Twitter. Um, he's on Bleacher Report, coming out with great stuff just all the time. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming on. And, uh, of course, everybody out there, thanks for giving a listen to another episode of the podcast. We'll have another one for you coming out this weekend. But until then, enjoy the end of your week. Good you.